Welcome to the Memory Distillery, everyone. I'm Anthony Verneri. And I'm John Deck. And each week we will malt, mash, ferment, and distill our way through the spirits of our past in the form of long-loved movies. And this week... You know Makumbo? Furu. Granddad was a priest in Trinidad. He used to tell us, when there's no more room in hell, the dead will walk there. That's right, we are finally doing Dawn of the Dead from 1978, directed by George A. Romero. John, I've been dying to do this movie since we started this podcast. That is true, and I, I believe you got a little bit of relief when we did Night of the Living Dead, but you still yeah. were like, okay, now now when are we going to do this? And it's like, wait till next year. There's no way we're going to be doing this podcast a year from now. And yet, <laughs> here we are, and... uh I have to say, uh, I mean, I, I, I'm trying to think of when I last saw this. It probably was in college, so a hundred years ago. And <laughs> I've seen the the remake more recent, but even that, it's been at least like 15 years or more since I've seen the remake. And so, yeah, it's interesting. I think the remake sticks in my head a bit more just because I've seen it more recently. But I'll be interested to see your take on things because you're a true aficionado. Yeah, a bit. I th- this is the one that started the the real zombie movie love affair for me. I think like I I had seen Night of the Living Dead <clears throat> as a child, but my dad got me uh, a copy of Dawn of the Dead on VHS, <laughs> and I wore that tape out. Like it, the the tape literally snapped. I watched it that many times. That's funny. Uh, it's this is a movie that for me i think not just from a zombie film perspective but this is a movie that got me interested in film in general and like filmmaking i got to watch the featurette of of it being made and and you know hear it from george romero's mouth like what his vision was and you know how the filmmaking process goes and things like that and so i think that's what sort of catalyzed the idea of even just as a critic uh, being involved in film. Well, how how long has it been since you've last seen it about? Uh, this is one of the more recent ones. I, I, I it's it's something that I watch every few years at, at the very least. Uh, but probably probably not long before we started doing this podcast. Uh, like maybe the see we started this in. April of 2019. I, it was probably October of 2018 hmm. uh, when I last saw it. All right. Well, I mean, I think the best thing to do is to just jump right in and watch this. I'm, I'm really, I'm especially curious about your take on things now after refreshing yourself. Although you probably have it all memorized, but um, <laughs> but yeah, I, shot. I say we, uh, we go ahead and go watch this. I agree. Uh, this is going to be a tough one for you guys listening at home. If you want to watch it, you're going to have to find it somewhere physical. Uh, I don't know of any digital copies of this uh, that are on the up and up. So uh, do what you do. And when we come back, we are talking Dawn of the Dead. John, are you ready? Mm-hmm. Then let's do it.
Welcome back, everybody. We just got done watching Dawn of the Dead. John, uh, I, I, I know you said when we uh, did the the sort of pre-watch recording, you wanted to hear my take, uh, you know, for, through, through, I guess, newish eyes. But I want to know before I do, uh, h- how was this viewing for you? How did it compare to... Uh, your your most recent viewing, or or even your most recent viewing of uh the the remake. Well, it, it's interesting. Uh, on some levels, I almost want to rewatch the remake only academically, you know, for basis of comparison. But that's something we could talk about later because I have a feeling you're probably critical and have more thoughts about it than I do in terms of comparing the two. But yeah, like, I mean, other than the fact that I thought like, wait, am I, am I starting off watching like Red Dawn instead of Donna that like, what this, like, (laughs) this doesn't, it felt like it took quite a while for me to understand where they were immersing us into like this cop drama or, you know, like I wasn't a hundred percent sure where we were at, but that's fine. Um, I don't need my hand held. They could just throw us into the world and figure out from there. Um, It was an interesting process. There were things that I, I quite enjoyed cinematically, what they were doing, how they went about it. Uh, it's always fascinating to revisit movies that at their time were unprecedented or at the top of effects or just, you know, mind blowing in certain ways. And I know that this movie was, you know, disturbing and gory and over the top and just something that people were like, how is that possible? How did they make this? Like, this is crazy. And, and like, I didn't have any of those reactions, of course. Um, but I was able to appreciate certain angles of it. There were things I, I, like I said, that I enjoyed quite a bit. And overall, I appreciate its presence within the entire zombie milieu. Um, <laughs> but like, I, I didn't find myself thinking it's a masterpiece and there were times I was amused. There were times I was a little bit bored. There were times where, you know, I found these weird moments and inconsistencies that was like, what is happening? Um, but overall, a positive experience of watching. And I'm open to people who experienced it either at a young age or, you know, a, a time gone by where it just had a, a visceral impact. So, so yeah, that's my, my high level diagnosis. I've, I'm kind of curious where where it falls with you and how you feel. Well, first off, any negative comments that you just made are going to get edited out. Understood. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> so I I appreciate what you said about uh, about the the. I appreciate your use of the word masterpiece because I don't by any stretch of the imagination feel like this movie is a masterpiece. What I do feel like it is is it's a a, a master class in uh, how to portray the the ongoing story of a of a zombie apocalypse because one thing that some people don't necessarily think about with George Romero's Dead series I I I had to stop saying trilogy with George Romero's Dead series uh the idea is that this is taking place not over years and years and years but over the span of you know weeks and months like early on in this movie uh, that opening scene where they're talking about uh, uh, the, like it, it's the the interview that's happening on TV, and they're they're talking about oh you've had weeks to to think about this you know since the started or what have you. So from Night of the Living Dead to Dawn of the Dead, we're only talking about a matter of a few weeks or a month. It's not this isn't a big protracted thing over over a decade. So um, all that to say that this is 
to me, a, a, a great piece of storytelling over a longer period or, or, or th- over the span of, of almost seemingly unrelated movies. They're just different, like Night of the Living Dead, Dawn of the Dead, Day of the Dead, Land of the Dead. They're all different points in time, but over the span of you know weeks or months, not decades. Uh, I, I don't think that this is a masterpiece by any stretch of the imagination, uh, simply because like it was it was made on a low budget and it it was it was very simple in in terms of the 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 prop work that they did and and stuff like that and I mean they're using red paint for blood, so that this isn't some insanely uh, incredible filmmaking masterpiece, but it is a good movie. I really enjoy. It. I, I wouldn't keep watching it if I didn't. Um, the, the the storytelling and and sort of the the getting to know characters with a with a lack of backstory and and coming to to appreciate them to the point where when one of them dies you get you know upset at least in my case uh that that's good storytelling and that's good character building to me and i think that's probably one of the biggest draws to this for me is 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 that storytelling piece yeah well that's i mean a a good summation of the, your overall uh, thoughts on this and i'm curious again to as we dig a bit deeper into here um obviously like you said we're having this follow-up to night of the living dead uh that is not you know a decade and a half later but within that outbreak you know when things are still unknown and it's progressed a bit to the fact you know fact that it's spread and all over and it's like it's not it's not at that 100% new people are just coming out of the ground kind of thing. Um, so we just are thrown into it, like I said. And and so it's it could be a bit like kind of coming out of nowhere if you don't realize the history of this. I'm sure, you know, at the time it was there were, there was probably a combination of people who were very familiar with, you know, the earlier movie. And then probably some people had just jumped in cold. So it's, it's interesting to imagine that. And I know for sure in the remake, there were tons of people who saw the remake without knowing that there was a, you know, uh, an earlier one or never having seen the earlier version. Um, but we do have, I'd say a, a cast of, I don't know, maybe, about maybe six or so main people. I know there's, it depends on how you say main, you know, at the end of the day, sure. we're dealing with about three or four, but then there's, you know, the, the hooligans on their motor bicycles <laughs> that are, you know, in, in the midst of things and all that. But it's the bottom line is despite having uh, a lot of people here and there, both living and undead, uh, it's a relatively small cast for a rather expansive, landscape of uh, you know a town and a mall and like all this stuff going on so it's interesting that that balance between you know people who are kind of trying to just get by and survive but then they have come across this mall and and you know like all, all the stuff that's going on it's just very interesting how they play play up with that and work with that space because a lot of times zombie movies are like purposefully claustrophobic Whereas this felt just a bit more open most of the time. Well, and I think that that, that served, you know, a, a, a really important purpose, which is to give the idea that this isn't just localized to a, a particular city. This is this is something that's much bigger. It's it's on a grander scale, and and we find out 
oh, this is, you know, let's drop bombs on all the major cities. Oh, this is happening in all the major cities. This is happening all across the country and possibly all, all across the planet. Uh, so the getting to do that and, and, and doing it the way that they did, I think was, was very creative because it's when you, when you don't have the money to pay for, you know, hundreds of extras in a, a city scene or, you know, focusing in on Washington or focusing on a, in on some other, some little farm, uh, out in the middle of nowhere where some people are holed up, like you don't have the cast for that. You don't want to pay extras for that. So what do you do? You take the little cast that you have and some of the crew and just film them in small locations, yeah, making it look like they're, you know, hundreds of miles away. Uh, so yeah. Well, one thing I, I want to note right off the back, this has happened to us a couple of times, not on the recent <laughs> test, but like, um, it was interesting to have moments in this movie that felt reflective on modern times, given that by and large, so much of the movie very much feels like a seventies movie. Um, but then there's moments like with the eye patch guy, the scientist who's being interviewed on TV. And it just felt like YouTube clips I've seen recently of people who are, you know, are like, look at me, I'm, I'm Mr. Guy who knows everything. And I'm going to tell you all this stuff that you need to, and it's like, do you even know anything? And and it just felt a little too close to home to have that character. A, it felt like it was pulled from 2020 and thrown back into the seventies. It was a little bizarre. It's, it's a weird mixture of life imitates art, uh, versus, uh, uh, everything old is new again. Like we, we're living that exact same sort of, misinformation disinformation propaganda campaign that we see in this movie and 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 the guy with the eye patch like i i used to i remember thinking when i was like a teenager like hey maybe this guy's you know he's kind of a dick but maybe he doesn't necessarily have have too bad of ideas until he gets to the you know let's uh let, let's start feeding them uh part of the conversation yeah <laughs> but it's like I, I look back on it now and in recent years and I've been going, man, this guy sounds like, you know, Alex Jones. Right. Well, even, uh, like even some, to, the, whack job. to that detail that you said of him saying that whole, like, if we feed him 10% of the, or, you know, like and getting into the, the numbers, like this is how we make sure that we're, we're safe and all. It sounded a lot like people saying, well, you know, if we, if we just let a certain number of people like die off, they're like the sacrifice of like, old and unhealthy and then then we can all progress with our lives normally and not have to worry about it anymore like I, I feel like i've heard these phrases mm. like it almost seems constructed based upon you know bits of dialogue from this movie which if you're going to pick a movie to rip dialogue from in order to model yourself after you might be able to find better movies but hey um we're not here <laughs> no one no one watches a movie called dawn of the dead because you think you're going to get oscar caliber script writing and stuff and and overall i felt like the performances were pretty solid i, I you know for for what it was like i thought like especially uh what's his face uh it's peter um Ken, 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 Ken Foray, yeah. yeah. Like, I thought he was interesting and kind of intense, but in a good way. And other, you know, main people kind of back and forth between being annoying and, and being kind of interesting. But, like, I think that was kind of the point 
and like you know Flyboy and all like just the the different people and mix of characters like it, it's interesting enough what they did but then to kind of start to dip their toe into the waters of like the boring aspects of surviving a zombie apocalypse They're just sitting and waiting yeah and like how maddening that actually would be and I like it when movies or really anything challenges you to think like, what would I do in this situation? Why would it be better? How would I handle things differently? And, and of course I always feel that way in zombie movies. Cause it's like a hobby of mine is to just, you know, ruminate upon, you know, zombie <laughs> apocalypse procedure and what I would do. But in this case in particular, like a small number of people, you know, a relatively dire situation. And yet, secure enough with enough supplies and enough things going on where you can kind of live this like secluded suburban little fake mini existence within a you know you know a horrible situation it's just it's interesting that they spent time to dig into that and and when i say spend time i mean it is a long movie so they had time they had time to realize these ideas so speaking of that which cut did you watch of this movie un clear okay uh i only ask because uh i i own no less than seven. Oh, uh d- d- just very seven various cuts of like there's a like a, a bootleg and a, a director's cut and a european cut and all these others and i'm like man this is i i got real real into it in like the mid aughts i was just <laughs> completely I, like you like i was i was looking at different scenarios of what I would do and where I would go based on where I lived and what I might be doing at the time. And I needed to bug out. It's like I had plans upon plans and contingencies all set up, but I was also like studying. I was, I was like watching movies like this almost as like a, a cheat sheet to, Oh, you know, don't do what these idiots did or don't do what, you know, don't stack up in a a housing project. I want to look at, at, young Anthony's notebook full of survival tips. And I want (laughs) to, I want to see the page where it says, turns out they're afraid of fire. And like, you can just hold like a flare or a blowtorch and they'll be like, (laughs) (laughs) like the old Frankenstein, uh, uh, Phil Hartman is Frankenstein Saturday night live. And like, Oh yeah. Just that. Oh no. Fire bad. (laughs) So it's like, Oh yeah. I forgot that that was a thing. Um, apparently they're kind of afraid of fire. Good to know. Uh, but no, I, I, I watched the extended cut this go around. So I was just curious if I needed to like, uh, you know, jump around to, to various things. I will say given the, you know, talking about how long this movie is, the extended cut adds an extra like 20 or 25 minutes of footage. And a lot of it is that boring exposition, like the, not boring for us, the viewer, but boring for those on the screen. Like they're, living this life of of just like let's try on clothes and let's raid the bank and let's you know let's let's go and and (laughs) do a hundred pound bag of uh of coffee or or whatever like they're they're trying to live as normal life as possible when it's just four and then three of them locked into this this huge uh mall but it's it's also a kind of a tiny prison for them and it's in the extended cut fran actually makes mention of like this is going to turn into a prison this is a terrible idea we should keep running and there that she got overridden 
uh, because you know, men and sexism, nineteen seventy eight, and all yeah. that. Yeah, she needs to know her place. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but like that, that's what ended up happening, and and so in that extended cut, we get a lot more of those those protracted scenes of just moseying around the mall, I trying on clothes. I can't believe that she wanted to have a baby in this economy. I mean, right. And get out of that helicopter and get into the kitchen. Stuff like that. <laughs> that that's all so, the extended cut, right? That Yeah, exactly. Uh, that actually leads me to my, my next question for you is uh, we, we, we sometimes get, uh, and, and, and you never fail to point them out, even if I miss them. Uh, we get sort of weak female characters and, 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 unsatisfyingly so uh what was your impression of fran overall in this movie well i i did appreciate um all of the different scenes she had with the other women in the cast and how they (laughs) uh oh wait no that's right it's just her um i i think i i feel like i just don't have an opinion which i guess means that it could be worse (laughs) um I think that they took some steps to try to give her a little bit of substance and a, a, just a a bit of backbone and, you know, but that doesn't necessarily make her, like, very interesting to me. But to be fair, I, I mean, I liked a few, some of the performances, but as far as the development of who they were, I wasn't all that, like, I didn't care too much. So I can't say that, you know, Fran is... Uh, you know, one of these characters that kind of shines through the rest of what's going on within the movie. But, you know, uh, she she learned to fly a helicopter, so that's a good thing, right? Sure. Yeah. I, and I would even say that she, she eventually gave it as good as she got it. Uh, she she started off in sort of this timid role, and she was very scared, and she quickly sort of developed a a, a skin. I yeah, feel like at least she did develop. Yeah, that is true. She she grew. She started in one place, and you know got stronger, and both vocally saying, you know, okay, so here's you're not gonna leave me here without a gun, and you're not gonna do this, and I'm gonna learn to fly, and, and you know teach me to shoot, and like all these things happen. So so like that that's all good. Uh you know, you made mention up top, and and I I think I mentioned it when we came back in about uh, the the remake, the two thousand four uh, remake with Ving Rhames and and that whole cast. Uh, c- comparing to which, uh, what are your thoughts? Oh, I, I guess which one do you like more, and why, and and you know things like that. Well, like. Uh, again, it's been quite a long time since seeing the the remake. When I saw it, I thought it was perfectly adequate. Like, but I didn't like it enough to go back and revisit it after the first time I saw it. So, like, I don't have a lot of thoughts. And really, the only real comparisons that are vivid in my head is that remembering that it was largely set in a mall, you know, and um. Uh, so now that I've seen this, like I said, I'm I'm, I'm like close to kind of like when we did Superman, I was close to wanting to watch Superman three and four, not because <laughs> I thought that they'd be great, but because I felt like we're spending time in a Superman chapter. I want to be more complete about it, but you know, I never did that with this, 
Not sure whether or not I'll bother, but it's a lot easier to find than this version. That's for sure. It sure as hell is. Uh, but I'm, I'm <laughs> glad I own physical copies of this movie. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah. So I, again, I, I had no real, like when I watched it, I had no expectations. I was never, I'd seen the original at some point, probably in a triple feature over the course of a weekend, you know, and you know, it was just one of those I'd never had formative years where I loved it and it meant a lot to me. It was just another one of those movies that was out there um, that just fit into the overall picture. So the remake itself, I thought, you know, had some fresh legs, but like did did nothing to like really impress me. Um, but like you, on the other hand, um, yeah, <laughs> you probably so... <laughs> had certain expectations or you were like maybe even angry they were making it or who knows. So I wasn't angry that they were making it. I I that this was at a time uh actually let me check the date of Land of the Dead only because I want to make sure the movie uh, with the dinosaurs and Will Ferrell it was based no, on the TV show. Yep, that's the one. Land of the Lost Dead. Uh no. Uh so Land of the Dead which is the fourth uh movie officially in the the George Romero's Dead series. Uh, that was 2005. So the 2004 Dawn of the Dead, that this would that came out at a time where I had been following the progress of the untitled Dead movie, which turned into Land of the Dead, uh, and it was at one time called Dead Reckoning. Uh, I'd been following that for easily six years maybe longer than that because like my dad and i uh when i was still in high school we were like we would every, every so often like go and check together on the internet of like oh when's it you know and any new new news or new developments or whatever wait you had internet when you were in high school yeah dang i forgot that i am older than you you are a little older than me yes <laughs> uh but so when this when that 2004 Dawn of the Dead came out, I was like super stoked. I was like, oh yeah, this is going to be like a nice lead in and we'll finally get Land of the Dead and it's going to be awesome. And I was ultimately very disappointed uh, because this remake, I, I, I had put the 1978, the original Dawn of the Dead up on this, this impossible pedestal. Sure. And I, I held it in such high regard. And then when I saw the 2004 and how they had like completely changed the story. Now there's more people in the mall and we're, you know, dealing with kind of sick, crazy fucks in the mall, not just like an outside danger. And then, uh, the, the running zombies, uh, (laughs) and, and like, I, I, I had this strongly held belief that zombies don't run. And so, uh, he, you know, seeing that happen, I I had a very visceral reaction to it. And I was like, this is horrible. Why would I ever want to watch this again? Uh, and then I bought it so that I could compare the two over and over again. <laughs> it became kind of an obsession for me, but uh, it, it just, it's, it's funny to me looking back on it that I, I had that visceral reaction because if I think about the specific scenes in that remake, they're not that bad. I don't know that they're good, but I don't remember them being quite that bad. I just remember my reaction to them being bad. So I, I, I would be willing to go back and rewatch it at some point, maybe not next week, but 
I would be willing to go back and, and give it another, you know, an honest try. Yeah, I already have I already have some thoughts about next week, but we don't need to get into that right now. But uh, as you all are listening to this, you've probably already realized that we are in fact uh, heading into our Halloween horror spectacular month. And oh so, yes! So we we we're gonna live in the space and play in it for a little while. Um, but yeah, so with again going back to this movie, there was oh yeah the the I don't know if they have a name, but the gang of hooligans as i like yeah i think they're called the raiders cool like their their build is the raiders sure sure that's cool um like at first i thought they were just kind of over the top dumb stupid and ridiculous and then i kind of tried to look at it in terms of george romero and the statement he might have been wanting to make as he was doing this and it's a lot of that whole like the real monster was us all along. And the idea of, and I don't mean just the real monster was human beings shooting each other and killing each other in the midst of a zombie apocalypse, although that's one reoccurring thing that ha- happens in almost you know every movie or series in some sure. way. But I mean the whole, like, yeah, zombies are... And they even explain this in some of the voiceover, and I can't remember if it was on the new show or else somewhere where they're, while other stuff's going on, they're explaining how that it's not cannibalism because they they don't eat each other. You know, they're just animals at this point; they're not humans. And right, so the, uh, yeah, that, that was the the guy on the the TV. Yeah. So like at this point, you have uh, a, a like a subspecies, a different species. They're they're not human, and they're definitely a threat and they're a problem but with their lackadaisical you know wandering around or it's amazing that they're as efficient killers as they are um but when you have the introduction of this you know biker crew the raiders come on the scene and you know they see someone on the roof and then they want to break in and cause havoc it's like they didn't quite do enough to me to convince me that they were like all literally insane um but they should have because they were just dumb and, and crazy and stupid. But it was that attachment that they had to, like, looting the place that I found to be interesting. The thing, like I said, that threw me off at first. But then I was like, oh, because it feels like that you're trying to make a statement about, like, commercialism and trying to make a statement about what people would value, even if their lives were on the line, uh, as I think might have been what was going on with that. And so I tried to look at it through that lens and then i was a little bit less annoyed with the whole prospect of uh, of what they were you know doing to just kind of cause trouble and and even that scene where the guy's stealing the little tv and he's like what are you gonna even watch on that and he's like oh yeah i don't know man yeah but then of course he has to go on ahead and, and smash things because that's what they're doing and smash other tvs could just because because you know nothing better to do <laughs> it's a pretty loud message i think throughout is the the commercialism piece of it like it's it's for sure something that uh is easy to see you know uh there's there's one thing uh to to kind of punctuate that uh even even before the raiders showed up and started taking shit like they they're standing on the balcony after they they cleaned up the mall and uh they're 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 like listening to 
the zombies at the doors and they're still smashing at the glass after days and days of not being able to get in. He's like, they don't know why they just remember, remember that they want to be here. Yeah. And it's like, wow. Like, could there be a louder message about how much we've just value shit? Yep. And it'd be funny. I can't remember. Did they say that line while they were like dressed in fur coats and stuff? Yes, <laughs> they did. So that, that so the, that's yeah, that, that nice bit of like duality there of like, yeah, we're judging them for standing at the doors while we stand here in furs. I do have to say one, one particularly enthusiastic raider I appreciated was the guy that was wielding the giant rubber mallet. Ah, yes. Which obviously was was supposed to be a regular sledgehammer, but you could clearly tell it was rubber. And it was, (laughs) it was just very interesting when the shots between when he was actually choreographing, you know, hit against a person, even if they were wearing stunt padding or stuff, but versus when they were hitting a mannequin or something off screen, he just put all the weight and, you know, really hit things hard. And (laughs) so I, I kept tracking him through every shot, even if they were like, 50 people in the shot. It was like, I, I wanted to see what was this guy doing because he was working real hard. He had a couple good kicks. Like he, that's the other thing too, is that there were several people who did some kicking and those that did seem to have some good training. Cause these, <laughs> these were not just, ah, get off me. Like these were like too late, Fuck you know, right off, <laughs> just jump in the air, triple kick kind of combos that were like, what is happening? Okay. I guess that's, these guys have that skill set. Cool. So some of those things kept me amused uh, in the different group shots. Yeah, that there were a lot of of actors in in that those raider scenes where they really seemed to have it together in terms of like how to beat the shit out of something and or like how to uh, how to create the most uh, visible mayhem. Uh, I know a lot of this, I don't know about the choreography, but I know the, a lot of the makeup was done by Tom Savini, who is the guy uh, with the, uh, the the switchblade comb. Yeah. Uh, he did a, almost all the makeup for this movie. Uh, and I think he might have done a little bit of the choreographing of those those sort of fight scenes. Uh, but it, it's, it's really cool to watch uh, uh, every time I see it. Like, I'm just... I, I have a great time with it because it's it's a lot of fun to like between the pies in the face yeah. and and the you know cutting off of hands or or whatever like it's all to me it's it's all just a, a ton of fun to watch it's it's something but it's also uh, again it makes it hard to try to put yourself in the shoes of said individuals when on the one hand, they want to treat things as a very serious action kind of movie with dire consequences and all this stuff. And at the same time, you just have not just one random crazy person, but just dozens of people who don't perceive any of this as a threat whatsoever. They think it's fun and hilarious, and they're like up to the point until like they're literally being eaten and you know like while still alive that they just are totally cool like not even worried that there's 28 of them coming upon them on the edge of a balcony or something they're just like huh that's cool i got a hammer and it's like oh okay so that'll be fun that that couldn't have anything to do with what's happening now could it that that's impossible to draw a parallel okay yeah but they're there was 
a thing in the news more than once about a certain motorcycle rally happening last year and this year and uh, negative effects connected to them. So it's all of a sudden getting I, I, I weirder I believe weirder. Super Spreader Event Yeah, the, the, the title that it was given. <laughs> so once again, you know, were, were people hilariously reproducing this movie in real life or was this movie some sort of prescient fortune-telling device? Hmm. Impossible think, to tell. I think the best thing for you and I is to just go ahead and get some helicopter flying lessons. Yeah, that that might not be a bad idea. I've been meaning to, uh, you know, expand my horizons anyway. So uh, maybe I'll do that. Uh, now, I know you don't necessarily have an affinity for the genre, but do you have, or the subgenre, I guess, but do you have a favorite zombie movie? What do you mean? I don't have an affinity for the subgenre or the well, genre. It's what, it, it's what it sounded like to me when you were saying early on, like, "Oh, you know, I don't know these movies as well as you do," and you're the official. Uh, I meant, I meant, you're the, the best zombie movie guy ever. I, it is your very words, true. not mine. It's very true. Those are my exact words. But when I said these movies, I meant George Romero's movies in specific, oh, particularly his movies, his take on the zombie genre you're way more familiar with than I am is what I was referring to. Not all zombie things. Gotcha. Um, but yeah, like I, I absolutely do have a favorite and I don't want to spoil it just in case we end up doing it next week. Um, we'll, we'll see, (laughs) but I will say that across all zombie movies over time, like I've seen some very like different foreign ones, different movies that like, you just are a low budget, high budget, and like there are certain earmarks that make me really appreciate a, a good zombie movie. And you know, aside from things like caring about characters, because of course that's in any movie anywhere, that's always like a pretty good thing. I think one thing that I like is to blend the horror and the tragedy with like a true sense of hope. And I don't think a lot of movies do that very well. I think they get caught up and either their their quote-unquote sense of hope is just, well, they are in a helicopter and they're not dead at the end of the movie, so that's hopeful, right? But even with that, it's, well, we don't got much gas. All right, well, let's go. <laughs> and it's it's like, and I don't even mean just the end scene. I mean the overall theme and feel through the movie, like where it takes you. And, like, how do you feel when it's done? Is it all just a tragic story of a world destroyed? Or, like, what, what else do you gain from that through the character, main character's eyes? So that that is something that I think some movies do better than others. This one, I kind of call it neutral because, you know, it's not like total catastrophe. They're all dead. And they do have a bit of hope at the end with maybe three humans, you know, in that helicopter escaping-ish. Um, but yeah, so I don't give it high marks, but I don't say it's anywhere near the worst either. Okay. That's fair. Uh, I don't know that I have much else. Um, well, we'll keep it short and sweet and move on to the next Halloween episode. I guess so. Uh, yeah, I I have final thoughts. Um, I still love this movie. I still love the shit out of this movie and I'm going to watch it again soon because now I don't have to wait for us to do it on the podcast. Uh, 
that's our show, everyone. Thanks for listening to us each and every week as we distill another favorite from our past. You can catch new episodes just about every Monday on Apple and Spotify and Stitcher and uh, Google Podcasts and some other podcast platforms, I'm sure. And uh, tmdpod.com. You can get us there. That's where we like to hang out. John. Yo. So, uh, I, I got a joke for you, Anthony. What kind of music do zombies like? I I know this one. I've heard it before. Is it uh, destroying the evidence by semaphore? Oh, damn it! You've heard this one already. Uh, yeah. yeah, that's exactly correct. Because even zombies can't get over uh, how cool the song is, and we use it in our podcast. So you all it should be good enough for you to go out and, and check it out and jam out to it, uh, as well as their other music. Um, but if you are excited at the prospect of us heading into the Horween, uh, oh my, uh, or if you're excited about uh, Christmas movies after that, that's waiting for a Christmas sound effect. Yeah, I don't have a Christmas drop. I wasn't prepared for a Christmas drop, so well, you get nothing. Clearly, you can't work at Walmart yet because they're all decked out for Christmas. <sighs> anyway. Um, definitely. Give Halloween some respect, corporate America. Yeah. Um, you should all feel free to email us at thememorystillery at gmail.com to let us know either Halloween movies, Christmas movies, things that you've never heard us do, but I think that's weird because you're like, Zombieverse is a classic. How have you not done Zombieverse? Um, but we'll continue along this path and <laughs> want you guys to tell us some of your favorites or things that you'd like us to do. And you can also tweet us at uh, Team Pod. Uh, that's our Instagram handle as well. And more or less, we just want to keep uh, thanking you for joining us on our various journeys. So this one, I think, is going to be a lot of fun. Uh, I think this is our it's just our second or third. Dip it's our, it's our third Halloween. Yeah, third Halloween. Insane. It's so, exciting stuff. So we will we'll shake it up a bit, do a few things we haven't done before, and I look forward to, uh, to going forward once again. Thanks for listening, and I'm John Deck. And I'm Anthony Verneri, and this has been the Memory Distillery. There's no more room in hell. The dead will walk the earth. Yeah, you got that. No, that's not the quote. It. Uh, I think he said, you, you can get a good look at a butcher's help, but you'd have to stick your head in there. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah. No, good job, stupid. Tommy. Stupid. No, it's got to be your bull. <laughs> it's got to be your hell. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>